What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. To lose someone whom you love is one of the toughest things that a human being will ever endure. I I know that for a fact because I've had loved ones that have passed on. And I've also been present when I have had to tell people that their loved ones have passed on. But, you know, some say that next to a death of a loved one, that a divorce is one of the most brutal things a human being can go through. You tie a lot of emotion up in it because you see perhaps a failure. You see an end to things that you thought had great possibilities. And there it it just crumbles right before you. And of course the 
the really sad part is not necessarily going your own way from the person that you've you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with, but if you have children, they're left in the wake many times to be battered up against the metaphorical rocks of life. Today, we're going to talk about one such child. And this case is special to me because it it's a case that I covered early on in my media career, and it impacted me, I think, probably like no other. Today, we're going to talk about the murder of Dylan Redwine. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Dave, you know, when you're, when you're a little boy, and you and I used to be little boys, we spent our time playing and having adventures, getting together with our friends, tossing a ball around. Some of the coolest times that you can experience. But I know that for myself, I'm, I am a child of divorce. And you, yeah, and it, you pay a price for it, don't you? I mean, it's yeah. not just mom and dad that might pay a price. You know, us kids that have been through it pay a price as well. And sometimes those those things go unseen for years and years, and they sometimes manifest themselves later on in life. It's interesting how most you know, children that grow up in a nuclear home where the divorce is not present, you just have mom, dad, and the kids, and all the children have different stories to tell about their own upbringing based on the uh, when they were born, whether they're first born, middle, last. And it's the same thing happens when uh, if you're a child of divorce, except mm-hmm. now you extend it out because whereas in a uh, – a family that is just mom, dad, and the kids, they argue about the attention they got or mom loved you more, dad loved, liked you more, that whole thing. Well, now it's expanded because now you've got mom and dad, plus oftentimes their extended spouses and other half-brothers and half-sisters that it becomes a big fray. And some kids have a way of maneuvering through it better than others. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, I'd agree. You, you, and, and it's like a race. You're, you're jockeying for... I never know what validation actually means. People use that term all the time. I never really know what it is. Oh, but approval. You're jock- yeah, yeah. Yeah, approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've approval. always thought of that. We all we all want to approval. We want it from our we want it from our mom and dad first yeah. and foremost. And it, the fact, you know what? I I wondered, Joe, in this particular case yeah. because I've covered it too. When at, when it first began uh, as a missing person, what happened to this thirteen year old kid? Right, a thirteen year old boy, Dylan Redwine goes to visit his dad now his mom and dad were divorced and uh dylan did not want to go that was made pretty public fairly early in this uh, whole case but it was thanksgiving he had to go there to be with his dad for thanksgiving it was court ordered so dylan Redwine went here uh, he arrives at the airport in colorado dad picks him up we have cctv coverage that's how intense this case got we saw him at walmart we saw them at mcdonald's you don't see them being overly warm with one another. Uh, there was a little distance while they were walking, but you couldn't really see a whole lot. But the bottom line, always being the bottom line, uh, Dylan Redwine did reach out to a friend and was going to meet him the next morning. Now, he's at Dad's house. And one thing to point out, Mark Redwine, the father, his home had burned about six months earlier, and it had recently been remodeled. 
And this was the first time that Dylan had really been there since it had been remodeled. And that means something, by the way, as we go further into this case, right. forensically speaking. So Dylan Redwine is at this house. It wasn't unfamiliar territory. He did have friends there and he called a friend or he reached out to a friend uh, in the evening and they made plans for the next morning at 6.30 a.m. They were going to get to get now something 13-year-old boys do. You know, when you're 13 and you've got the woods, yeah. open area, you can yep. get out there and just, I know I did it, but yep. oh, that's an age that, you know what, as a, as a man now, I want to make sure I wanted to make sure my boys got it. And I want to make sure my grandson gets it, that there is something beautiful like going out in the woods at 13 and challenging yourself to, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Amazing. Climbing a tree, trying, yes. trying to get back without, uh, an open wound bleeding. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> without so, doing anything to get in trouble, but you yeah, have a yeah, knife. You're, Usually you're, you have a knife though, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. You have a knife. Uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to chop wood or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, do uh, some whittling or you're going to play army. Yeah. Just uh, an know, adventure. All, all, yeah, it is. It is a grand adventure. And you, you look at that and you think, and, and for kids of divorce, that's, uh, that's the ultimate, uh, that's the ultimate fantasy world, isn't it? Because yes. you can get out there and you can, um, you I can, never put that together, Joe. I you can, yeah, you can escape. You yeah. can escape from the oh. tension that's in the house and interesting, just kind of a little aside here. I used to be, I used to watch this show inside the actor studio where the guy would interview the, the James Lipton he's passed yeah. on now, but he would interview these actors. And there was one thing, that he would always start off with in these interviews. And he would say, we're going to come to a common theme now that that is a thread that runs through all of our guests here. You are a child of divorce. And I would think about that. And I thought, wow, um, you know, where, where does some of this, you know, cause I, I don't really know that many actors. I've, I've, I've got some friends that are, but not close friends, but you know, you think about where do they get all this raw emotion from and all these things. And I know as a divorce kid, there is a lot of raw emotion. There's a lot of stuff that you have to work out, work through in your mind. And I don't know, maybe some are, uh, you know, are drawn toward the, toward the theater because just for a moment you can escape whatever your perception of your reality is at that moment. And at Thanksgiving, imagine Dylan having to be away from the safety of his home mm -hmm. with his mother. Where he wanted to be. Where he wanted to be. And, it's, and Joe, yeah. interesting to point out. Not only did he not want to be with his dad, the last few times they had been together had been very tension-filled uh, to the point where Dylan no longer felt comfortable around his dad. Plus, Dylan and Corey, uh, Corey is Dylan's brother, they had found pictures um, on a computer of their dad. Yeah. This divorce was already ugly, okay? Just throwing it out. It was already ugly. And apparently Dylan and Corey both had seen some legal documents that painted a very direct picture of what was being claimed by their dad, uh, by their mom. But it was the pictures they saw yeah. on this computer that actually made them realize this is not a guy we want to be around. And Dylan did not want to be there. And he had this in the back of his head. And by the way, Mark knew it. He knew it. Yeah. The, the father had a complete and total awareness. Uh, and I just, just so you know, you know, I made reference to how, um, and I, I don't want to make this about me, but just to kind of give you the background, 
when I was asked to cover this case and I was actually, you know, I cover cases on court TV, I cover cases on the law and crime network, and I have friends at both places whom I, I, I care for deeply. Uh, and I'll be friends with many of them for life. Um, they asked me, long crime asked me to cover this case and they send you this kind of this big packet, you know, when you're going through it. And I, when you begin to look at the notes of what you're going to cover and I begin to read through this thing and I'm thinking, okay, missing young boy, uh, remains have been found in, you know, two separate locations. They're skeletonized. He's missing for a time. Oh, and then there's these pictures and I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, what are the pictures? And then I had to do a double take when I began to read about them because, you know, these pictures, when you're thinking about, uh, forensic psychology, um, there are certain roles that people think about from a sexual standpoint. Um, people have, I don't want to call them, um, call them predispositions. That's not necessarily what they do, but they are what are referred to as paraphilias. And this, there is a particular paraphilia that is out there that's actually called corporophilia. And it is a fascination. Uh, I hate to say this on my own show, but it's a fascination with feces and particular human feces. And if you can imagine you're a divorced kid you're scared. You've got tension between your parents and you travel along with your brother, Corey, to your father's house months prior to your disappearance. And you're digging through your dad's computer, as you had mentioned, and you come across a file and you look at that file. You're in the bathroom with your brother. The door is locked. And you click on it. And there are images of your father dressed in women's lingerie with makeup on and human feces spread all over his face eating from a diaper. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to, somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash bags from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board this is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Dave, have you ever heard of someone saying, I almost died of embarrassment? You ever heard that phrase before? I've used it before. <laughs> yeah. I actually, actually you were talking about theater and actors a minute ago, and I was thinking, <laughs> okay, now your name in my life. Did you get my bio? Because yeah, and I, and it was during one of those times where I thought I was going to be so embarrassed I was going to yeah. die. Yeah, it, it, and it does happen. And and look, there we commit any number of faux pas in life. You know, things we say, things we shouldn't do, or. Uh, we exit the bathroom and toilet paper is hanging out of the backside of our pants or stuck to our shoe, or we've got spinach in our teeth or, um, you know, or in my case, when I, I saw a friend of mine, I hadn't seen in years and years, this lady that I was dear friends with when I was a child. Um, and she, she, um, I saw her and she said, Oh, I'm pregnant. I said, well, I know. And huh? <laughs> she said, I just found out yesterday. And so uh, <laughs> the meaning is, is that she had physically changed greatly 
and wow. I hadn't seen her in years. So I oh, was, she was, I was a, okay. I got. She you. had Sorry. increased in size, and I, I felt you know I turned fifty shades of red, and I was very embarrassed for having said that. Um, and you know I followed it up with telling her that I love uh, that I thought that she looked lovely, and of course I'm 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 tripping over my tongue the entire time. But when you get when you get to the degree that Dylan's father was at, particularly with these. Uh, this paraphilia that he engaged in um, and you document it photographically, you save it, you save these images so that I guess that you can live out this kind of fantastical life when it's not going on. And then suddenly your children find out about it. Um, I would think that that would be, I don't know, an impetus for a rage field event, perhaps. There was an interesting twist on this that, the the boys Corey and Mark uh or Dylan rather Corey and Dylan are the boys they kept it to themselves at first they didn't immediately challenge uh, Dad they didn't immediately go to him and say what are you doing who are you and they they held it they didn't know what to do I mean they're kids yeah how, how's a kid going yeah. to know what and to say to this so imagine here's Dylan um and by the way Dylan and, and his father were together on a trip to Boston to play baseball it was a little league thing that uh, Dylan was a part of and it was on this trip. When Mark, or Dylan and Corey both had been talking about confronting their father about these pictures, and Dylan apparently had decided he was going to use this trip to Boston to confront him, and he texted Corey, send me the pictures. Corey didn't send him the pictures. I don't know whether, he, he decided, I'm not going to let Dylan do it, I'm going to do it. Corey didn't send the pictures to Dylan, he sent these pictures to their dad on this trip, and he wrote some pretty... Uh, they were, from an insulting standpoint, they were pretty awesome. Uh, I don't realize, I don't remember how old Corey is. Uh, Dylan was 13. Um, but Corey wrote, you are what you eat to his dad with these pictures that he showed him. So now, on this trip to Boston, Mark Redwine realizes that both of his sons, or at least Corey, knows about the pictures because Corey sent them to him. All I could think of is that at some point in time, you mentioned that it's an actual issue. It's a, I, I didn't realize that, Joe. I thought, you know, there's all kinds of perversions and things that people get into. But apparently, you know, he was in the closet with this, didn't want anybody to know about it. And you've got pictures of him wearing a red bra, makeup, and a diaper filled with Indian food, you know, yeah. e eaten by a child first. Yeah, and I just it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's it's actually horrible. I've I've seen not just the crime scene photos, but I've seen these <clears throat> seen these images that are, um, you know that that are essentially the little spark that created the flame for everything. And here's an interesting bit of forensic data that that arose um, because there's a whole line of of texting messages that went through that kind of ran up the spine of this whole case. Um, when Corey, the older brother, sent that text to his father, interestingly enough, Mark wrote back and responded to Corey. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and he said, uh, you know, and this is after, uh, after Corey had told him that he's a coward, uh, that he was nothing more than a sperm donor. And then Mark actually texts back to Corey, the father and says, uh, telling him not to hurt his brother. Now he's telling the older brother not to hurt the younger brother. 
And, uh, you know, I, I guess he's, he's, he's saying, you know, don't show him or, you know, don't show him these photos thinking that Corey's the only one seeing him. But, you know, going to what you had said earlier, you know, there's kind of a disconnect in these, these follow-up visits that he was having. Um, Dylan had already seen them. Right. The, this child already had these images, you know, in his mind. And that's and what so, I was going to ask you, yeah. Joe, because you've covered this more. I thought I had covered it a lot until I looked at what you've done with this case. And I, I hate it for you because I've had nightmares about this one. But oh, it's horrible. When I saw this, and again, my brother and I were, uh, he's two years older than I am, uh, when my parents were going through a divorce. And then it's not just the divorce, it's the things that happen after the divorce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's what we're dealing with here is the aftermath. Even though mom and dad didn't seem to, uh, do a good job of keeping the boys uninvolved in the divorce. They were very involved. They knew everything that was going on. They're old enough to know, I guess. But when I believe based on what I have seen that Mark, uh, Redwine actually believed, yes, Corey has these don't share them with your little brother. Don't hurt him. Let's keep this between you and me and we'll deal with it. I, you know, he was trying to save face. I thought all the while he doesn't know that Dylan has seen these pictures and actually wants to confront him about them, but they had already been having a bad time together, as you mentioned. So was, do you think that their relationship was so off kilter that Mark Redwine, the father didn't realize that Dylan Redwine not only saw the pictures, but had formulated his own opinion. And that was what was causing the friction in the relationship or was he so deluded as to think I can turn Dylan to be back on my side in this divorce and, you know, we'll just fight it that way. No, I, I think that at this point in time, you know, probably Mark Redwine realized that he had crossed the Rubicon with this. And I think that more than likely he's trying to understand and figure out what he should do next. I think that along with this comes this, this level of, of humiliation and concurrently anger, and he's going to strike out. Remember that, you know, he had been texting. You had mentioned the, the Boston, going to Boston for baseball. That was back on August the 5th, 2012. It's November the 18th. Remember you talked about Thanksgiving. It's November the 18th. He's had to make a trip to his dad. This is Dylan by himself. Uh, and he arrives at his dad. The last time he's known to be alive is November the 18th, 2012. So you've got all of this time, August to November, for all of this stuff to bubble up. And and who knows what's going on from a communication standpoint during that period of time. It, is communication becoming less frequent? Uh, do you have, uh, you know, angry messages flying back and forth? What's being said on the phone for one another? And so all of this plays into trying to determine where Dylan is at this point in time. Uh, you know, once he goes missing on November the 18th, and he's under the care of his father. Um, you know, the, the dad, Mark Redwine, says he had left to go out and run errands. And in fact, um, you know, when he got home, he said that, well, you know, Dylan wasn't there. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't there, couldn't find him anywhere. And so that's, that's troubling. Um, there was some activity on Dylan's phone, I think, Probably the last phone activity was about nine nine p.m. on November the eighteenth, um, and you know who knows who was actually using the phone at that point in time to communicate with his friend. You know, Dylan was supposed to go meet up with his buddy, and of course that that never happened. 
would like to point out Corey Redwine is actually uh, several years older than uh, than Dylan. Uh, right. Corey Redwine um, actually was twenty years old, um, give or take, when when this was going on. Um, yeah, but he's men- reached that that age of emancipation yeah. where he, if he doesn't want to go to dad's house, he right. doesn't have to go. Well, I looked at because I was wondering why. You know, why right. is it? Because that that had always troubled me, and I was like, well, wait a minute, he was considerably older, and that's a that's a big that's also why he was so confrontational with his dad, and it also makes sense as to why Mark would address him almost as a par- as, as a peer, as an adult, saying, "Don't hurt your little brother." But you know, seeing him as much younger, not realizing that Dylan's the one that found the photos to start with and told Corey about them. But now you've got the conference, the, the discussion where he's we've got the text messages from Dylan to his friend uh, the evening before. The next morning, uh, Mark claims he goes out to run errands. And when he got home, Dylan was gone. That's the scenario that he played out and stayed with. This is where the world of forensics boggles my mind, Joe. It really does, because I had no idea. I had no idea of what you guys are capable of figuring out not just the next day the next week the next month but months and months i mean what can still be found out what's left behind there is no perfect crime no no there's not there there is no perfect crime you can't do anything in a vacuum and i uh you know i always reflect back i know i've referenced this before you know we're uh the in the book of Genesis where, you know, uh, uh, you know, God calls out to Cain and says, uh, you know, tells Cain, you know, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Uh, and in this particular case, you've got <clears throat> Dylan's blood is actually found within the home. And it's not later reports forensically indicate that it is, it is apparently not to, the level or volume that would necessarily be an event that is consistent with incompatibility with life, you know, where you've just got a tremendous amount of blood that's there that maybe there was an attempt to clean up, but they found, they found some on a coffee table. They found some on, on, uh, on, on a sofa. There was actually some beneath the carpet. And interestingly enough, it was a dog that found the blood you know, within the home and dogs are, are so fascinating. You know, you talk about us as forensic investigators, but you know, when you have an animal at your disposal that has this incredible olfactory, I call it an olfactory spectrum. Um, I know that people that are working ophthalmology will probably laugh about that, but that's what I refer to it as. It's a spectrum of smell that they have that we, we as, as humans can't even begin to touch. And they, they are specially trained. Um, and on a, on a side uh, that folks might not know, when I worked <clears throat> worked with a medical examiner, uh, we would have a lady that would come by periodically, and she would go back into our decomp area, and she had rags that she would soak up decomp fluid out of the trays where the body sat and seal them, and then take take those rags out into the woods and smear the trees with with decomp fluid to train her dogs with so that they would know what decomposing human remnant smelt like. And so these dogs are, are, are trained. You've got two separate groups of them. You've got them that will track the living 
Okay. You think bloodhounds and those sorts of things, and then you have cadaver dogs. And so, well, what's considered to be a cadaver dog? Well, post-mortem, there has to be some level of decay that's there because it's on a different olfactory spectrum, if you will. And they, they hit on these things. They can even pick up on the smell. Blood actually has, has a, um, a foul odor in and of itself, even, even as it decomposes. And so they'll hit along that spectrum and they'll be able to track, but just within the house alone, they found Dylan's, Dylan's blood. And here, here's the thing we're talking about, this is not like this would have been necessarily old, old blood, because what did you say in the beginning, Dave? This man's house had burned. It had been renovated. So this sample that would have been in there would have been something that probably would have been placed down in that area or would have been in, introduced into that environment post-renovation, post-fire. So that narrows it down because the fire, if I remember, took place like back in March of 2012, and Dylan goes missing November the 12th. And it, you're, left, you're left wondering, well, why would you have multiple spots of this child's blood in this home that you know he does it. He's not domiciled there. He doesn't live there all the time. So, you know, you can explain it. I mean, I've had a spontaneous bloody nose over the course of my life. Um, heck, I've, I've busted my head on different things and, you know, had an open bleeding wound. Uh, yeah, that does happen. And certainly, you know, being, being a qualified former little boy, I know that I have, I've spouted blood any number of ways, but you know, it, from an investigative standpoint, how how do you get past that? This is one of those moments in time where you have to ask bigger questions. And one of the things that we do know, this little boy was nowhere in that house. But something tells me the dogs are going to play a key role in discovering Dylan's remains. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Dave, I think if I ever do... A podcast, maybe as an adjunct to to body bags, where we just do a, a little separate one. I think I might use use the title corpus delicti. I've always liked that term. It comes from the Latin and it means the body of the crime. But many times it's it is it is in fact the body. Uh, and there's been a lot of people that have said you can't prosecute a homicide without a body. And I think that for investigators in the Dylan Redwine case, they were wondering if they, I think that they suspected something was up, but they knew that they had to find this child's body if they were ever going to move forward with a case. And, and certainly moving forward without a body is, is a problem. So Dylan goes missing November 19, 2012. They don't find him. There was weather situations to deal with with regard to being able to put out a search for him. It wasn't until the following year in 2013 when, and it was the femur, but it was both femurs, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, what are the odds of finding that, you know, something so specific, leg bones, um, yeah. with, without yeah. finding everything? It just seems odd. Yeah, it kind of does to me, too. But that's and- what they found in 2013. Yeah, it was actually in June. So this is going to be after everything is thawed. Remember, okay. we're in a higher elevation right. in Colorado. It's to say that that Colorado winters are brutal is certainly an understatement. Uh, it's terrifying <laughs> that weather, you know, during those periods of time. Right, and you know, when Dylan went missing, they were right on the cusp mm-hmm. of of that moment in time. Uh, I think that they had already had some snowfall when Dylan had missed, had gone missing back in, in 12, right. but moving forward, um, you know, you have to get out beyond that period, the thaw before you're going to find anything. And what did occur is that 
I think it was roughly 10 miles away from Mark Redwine's home that the left and the right femurs are actually found. So if you, and they were found on a road, Joe. Yeah. That that was odd. They found, and it was eight miles from his house, eight miles, eight miles from his house. They find the bones, but they're on a road. Why would they find bones on a road um, in June? Yeah, and, and so that, that to me, many times if, if temperature drops, okay, you'll have the body that will go into, um, it won't stop decomposing, but it will slow the decompositional process down a bit, particularly if temperatures at a high elevation really start to dip. And so they could have been deposited off of the road some distance, say on an ATV trail. And we do know that Mark Redwine had an ATV and they're deposited there. And then once an animal, once an animal begins to smell these, these decomposing remains, remember they're actually found in June. There's nothing to say that an animal would not have come by and grabbed this lower portion of the body. And it's not just the lower portion of the body. When they found the left and right femurs, they actually found the right clavicle. So if you will touch if you will, if you're listening to my voice right now, it's your collarbone and it's your right collarbone. Uh, that's what they found of Dylan's. And in addition to that, they found um, uh, the tibia, uh, which um, is one of the, the lower uh, leg bones. There's two. You have the tibia and the fibula that are in the lower leg. Well, they found the right tibia. So you've got two and it's an odd combination in it, Dave. You've got the left and the right femur, which are the lar- large, robust bones in the legs. You've got the right clavicle, which is the collarbone. And then you've got this right tibia. Um, so, you know, as forensic forensic scientists, you know, one of the things that you're thinking about, um, once this has been identified as human remains, you can't necessarily say that it belongs to a specific person at that point in time. But when you begin to examine these and you're thinking, well, why do I only have these items? Well, am I looking at a case where um, we've got an animal that has torn a body apart? Or do I have a case where another animal, a human, has torn a body apart and deposited the parts in various areas? And so, you know, you begin to think about this. If it's a human then one of the things that you're going to look for on the surface of the bones are going to be tool marks because that's how, that's what we do. We, we've got opposable thumbs and we work with tools. And so if you're going to take apart a human body, you're going to need the tools to do that. And it's very, I don't know of any possible way that you could dismember a human remain without utilizing some kind of metal tool in order to do that. So these bones would have to be carefully examined to, you know, kind of either rule that in or rule it out. Now, one thing they did is after they found the bones in June of 2013, it took a couple of weeks, but in August, uh, about eight weeks after they find those bones, they're able to search the house and the truck. That's when they find, they bring in the cadaver dogs. Um, a human cadaver dog is brought into Mark Redwine's home, and that's where the dogs were hitting on saying that there had been a uh, the corpse of a deceased person had been present that's yeah. the actual the way they wrote it out it had been present in that home also in the uh the bed of his truck and this was after they'd found those bones but they didn't find all of them and one comment mark redwine made to a friend of his 
that really came back to haunt him before they found anything. Mark Redwine made the comment. I guess they were talking about how do you charge anybody, you know, if he was killed, if he, you know, just, I, I'm trying to picture a conversation you would have with somebody that would include the term blunt force trauma from a dad talking about his son when he doesn't know what has happened to his son. Why? For the life of me, I can, can't figure out, Joe, that's just not a term I would want to use about a loved one, much less would even think about using, but he did. Mark Redwine talked about blunt force trauma and, well, they'd need to find his head talking about police in order to determine that his son had been murdered by blunt force trauma. Well, they'd need to find his head. Yeah. How, how is it that, that you're, you're comfortable enough to make that comment? And it's so very specific. Uh, you know, you can reformulate that to talk about, well, you know, I, gee, I hope they find my son's body and maybe there'll be information contained on it. That'll let us know what happened. Okay. That's, that's kind of the sympathetic view, but then you begin to look at this from the perspective of, well, um, you're being very specific here, very specific because blunt force is something that we normally talk about, uh, in the realm of forensics and specifically forensic pathology. Uh, and it's, it's so, it's so, it has such a fine point on it and not just fine point when you're talking about method that is used, but also Dave, when you begin to think about anatomical location, because he, he, he states, you know, that you'd have to find the skull and, and, you know, I'm sure much to his chagrin, uh, Dylan's skull was actually found. Well, what turned out to be Dylan's skull hikers actually found the skull on November the 3rd, 2015, and it took them all the way to May the 25th of, of 2016 to get the skull positively identified at that point in time. Why would it take so long? But I do, I do want to add something to this too, Joe. Yeah. All right. They, they made a note where his, the, the first, the partial remains were found in June, 2013. They go and discover the cadaver dogs hitting in the house and in the truck bed. And then the hikers, almost three years, nearly, I mean, November 3rd, 2015, right. is just about three years after he goes missing, they find his skull. And it's now further away. It's two yeah. miles, it's about 10 miles from the house. And the one thing that Mark Redwine had said out loud is he believed wild animals had yeah attacked and had drug him. And one of the experts, a wildlife expert actually determined that quote, no animal known to be in the area would transport a body up the mountain from Mr. Redwine's residence to the first recovery site, or would transport the skull an additional 1.5 miles through the terrain where the skull was found. Yeah, this was not, in the indictment. Yeah. They're, they're not going to do that. And I concur with with the with the expert in this case, and in my experience with uh, where you have what are referred to as a surface deposition of human remains, which means these are non these are non buried remains. These are these are remains that are left on top of the ground. Now, I'm not saying that at some point in time the remains could not have been buried, 
and then kind of dug up. But if these you call are it sur surface deposition, yeah, surface deposition. And essentially what that means is that <clears throat> if you think about, okay, I'll give you a good example. Think about Brian Laundry. Okay. They found him out in the swamps. Well, when Brian Laundry's remains were found out in the swamp, his body was not buried. That's a surface deposition of the body in total. Now with, with these remains, it's over such a massive area. And Dave, it's not like, it's not like, you know, here in the, in the deep South, we're going to walk down a, a dirt road together, carrying something in our hand and throw out one item here and throw it another. You're talking about undulating, uneven terrain that rises and falls at pitches we can't even fathom, particularly those of us that live, that are flatlanders that live in these, in these areas around here, the terrain varies so much. Most animals, when they scavenge, and this is one other thing before I forget it, I wanted to mention when Dylan died or was turned up missing, it was shortly after that, that I think that Mark Redwine had, had, uh, you know, put forth this idea that perhaps a bear had gotten him. But the experts, and this gives you an idea of the temperatures at this time, the experts said that by the time that Dylan had gone missing in November of 12, the bears would have gone into hibernation by that time. So they're not out and about. And you compare this to the Morphew case. What did Barry Morphew say about his wife? Well, mountain lion got it. Mountain lion got it. Yeah. But there's only and, three. They're yeah. very territorial, and there <laughs> are only three in the area, and that one was nowhere near where he was. Yeah, isn't it interesting how people blame animals for these yeah. sorts of things? And with with most surface depositions of skeletal remains, where you have bodies, let's just put it this way, where you have bodies that are, you have bodies that are intact. Okay, that means that nothing has been done with them as they decay on the ground. Animals will come, and they'll generally start in areas that they can get access to. So if you've got a clothed body, they're going to go for the face, they're going to go for the fingers, all right? And they start to pull. And as the body begins to deteriorate, things are more easily pulled apart till they begin to tear at the clothing. Now, some of Dylan's clothing was found. There were remnant of clothing out there, including, I think, shoes as well. But he here's the thing. You're not going to have them spreading remains over this vast uneven terrain and i think the skull what what was okay so the the lower remains uh, this this deposition of the femurs eight miles away along with the clavicle and the tibia that's eight miles away On you've got to go another mile and a half up up you know increasing in elevation where you're gonna find his head it just it you know as they say down here in the south that dog don't hunt and so it's just it's just one of those things that it just it defies all logic. Animals are not going to drag if they're in a particular area, kind of scavenging. They're going to grab whatever they can grab. They're going to take it back. And the smaller animals, you know, you can forget about that because if you're talking about coyotes, these are not huge, robust animals where they're going to walk miles and miles. And it's not like the savannas of of Africa with a lion or something. They're not going to walk miles and miles and miles with something that they're going to. They're going to eat. They're going to go very short distances, sit down, and they're going to begin to ingest their food. So if that is what happened, this makes no sense. But what does make sense is you've got body parts. You've got his remains found at eight miles away. Then a mile and a half up the mountain, you find his skull. 
But what did they find on the skull, Joe? Because yeah. we remember Mark Redwine made the comment, well, they can't do anything without, find, you know, without the head, because, and he mentioned the, that's where the blunt force trauma came in. By the way, still an unexplainable comment that he made, and it yeah. has been brought up at court. It was brought up at each stage of, along this way because who would say that other than somebody guilty of doing such a thing? But what did that skull tell investigators? Well, other, uh, you know, well, baseline, they, they were finally able to get Dylan's remains identified off of oh, that yeah, skull. You, okay, back to that. You said, okay, they found the skull in November, yeah. but it was May of the next year before they could even identify it? Uh, yeah, and the images that I've seen of the skull seems like that it would make dental ID very, very difficult on him. Uh, and um, by the time you're Dylan's age in life, you will have had some type of dentistry performed. Uh, and I, many people might not know this. Uh, I'm sure that DNA came in came into play in Dylan's case, but uh, did you know that there are certain cases where we're trying to identify bodies? If we don't have teeth, we'll actually <clears throat> forensic odontologists who look at the dental x-rays. Well, we've, I've been involved in cases where we use the sinuses to identify people. So you can do a comparison between sinuses of antemortem x-rays with postmortem x-rays of the skull. So if you've got, you know, you've got sinuses throughout your head, they're not just anterior. You have some posterior as well there are these little chambers in your body and they have certain patterns. When you look at them on radiographs, uh, x-rays, you can actually compare antemortem with postmortem images and you can get x-rays. You can use that as a starting point to get the identification done. Uh, and then, uh, a forensic anthropologist will take the skull and they'll begin to do measurements in a very broad sense. So when you're a 13 year old, your skull has not fully matured at that point to the same size that it's going to be when you're a full grown adult. So there are certain measurements that, that forensic anthropologists will make in order to determine, does this individual fit it within this demographic that we're looking for? We're talking about a 13 year old white male. Does this skull that we have even begin to marginally fit into that? And so you begin to narrow down from there. But further examination by the forensic anthropologist found, found four items that are of significance. First off, they found evidence of these kind of what we refer to as curvilinear fractures on the skull. And when I say curvilinear, it's a fancy way of saying that you've got these fractures that are kind of in a line, but they also slightly curve. And that gives you an idea that and they're, they're separate. They're not communicating, which means that they do not touch one another. Those are two specific areas of blunt force trauma that Dylan would have sustained, and these were located in the back of the head. The skull fractures do not appear to be depressed skull fractures where the plug of bone has been knocked down in there, but it's enough potentially of a concussive force that it could kill him. And here's the other thing that will send a chill up your spine about this. Remember how we were going on about how these remains were separated. Well, Dave, one of the things that the forensic anthropologist found on Dylan's skull were two tiny linear tool marks that are consistent with a knife blade. So what does that tell us? Why would this child have knife blade marks on the external table of his skull? Now, one of the defense experts at Mark Redwine's 
trial, I actually put forth the idea, well, that's probably from an animal. The teeth marks of an animal look completely different than a milled edge of a blade, and these things are very uniform. You can tell that this was generated by a tool. So the big question you have to ask, after Mark Redwine was put to shame as a result of what his boys had discovered, after he thinks about it for some time, about what he's going to do, did he allow that kernel to be planted within his brain that drove him into such a fit of rage that he would get his son by himself on a Thanksgiving holiday, get him in that house alone, beat him to death, and destroy his mortal remains. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 